Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today, we're going to talk about the wokeness pandemic that's killing America. Leland Burke, Dallas City Council runoff candidate, joins me in studio. Biden's job report versus cutting unemployment and WAPO ducks the kill chain. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And hello again, and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. A lot of us have been hearing the expression recently this year about the idea of being woke, and it's kind of a virtue signaling thing to say on all sorts of issues. Oh, I'm woke on that. I, I'm, I'm woke. I get this. I actually began hearing a few years ago with the basic concept being that you're signaling, I see something that's been going on for a long time, and I'm finally seeing the truth, and now I'm among the woke. But there's been a lot of recent commentary, and I want to address the first five, address in the first five today what the idea of wokeness really is and what it really does. Wokeness is a left-wing agenda mission. It is a mission, part of the broader left-wing mission to simply dismantle America. Everything good and noble about the founding of America is attacked by those who are woke who are the leaders of, the orchestrators of this wokeness movement. And so you have the woke on the left stirring up left-wing thinkers in this country, not just to reject kind of traditional Americanism, but really reject one of the most fundamental hallmarks of Western civilization, which is the concept of First Amendment rights and what that should lead to in a free society, free country, which is the robust debate of ideas. See, wokeness is not just antithetical to everything about America, everything about the structuring of America, the concept of rights, the freedom of religion, the whole host of fundamental ideas about America. Wokeness is not just antithetical to all of them. It is also, beyond those mission kind of statements, and all is also a tactical warfare concept. Wokeness inspires leftists to not simply accept a new set of ideas and believe in, oh, well, now I, I understand this, I'm woke, I believe in this. It is to treat people who do not agree with the left-wing view on anything, not simply as someone they might label as wrong, incorrect, off-base, but someone who deserves to be eviscerated, destroyed. Cancel culture is almost too polite a word for it. Cancel culture is this idea when someone speaks up on some idea and the left doesn't like what's being said. And so instead of just saying, you know, we disagree with Joe Blow for having said this, we think this is true. It is a destroy this person, try to get them fired from their job, smear campaign them around the country in every media outlet possible to destroy them. The concept of wokeness is taking this cancel culture idea broader and wider than we, you can even imagine. And the problem among many on the, with the wokeness concept is it is not just exacerbating, which may be very legitimate differences on political opinions on issues of all kinds. It's not simply making the division worse. It is telling one half of America that you're entitled to hate people who won't agree with you. You're supposed to hate them and to try to destroy them and to mock and ridicule and refuse to speak to them. 
I get emails from listeners all over this country. I've been doing this show since 2014. When Donald Trump came along and then when he was elected, the end of 2016, he began serving, I would get emails from listeners saying things like, you know, I really like Donald Trump and so I decided to support him. But then my adult daughter and her husband told us they'd never speak to us again. And literally people writing things like, and they moved across the country to California and I've never seen them again. And they've had three children. I've never seen my grandchildren. This wokeness thing is, desi is designed intentionally to inspire hatred for anyone who will not agree with you. And again, as I said at the beginning of this first five, it is a mission. It is not happenstance. It is not just uh, coincidental that the rise of the left, the Marxist elements have taken over the Democrat Party. The Marxist agenda of the Democrat Party has paralleled the rise of this wokeness phenomenon. People are being driven by the left to hate America, hate the foundational ideas of America, hate the concepts laid out in the Bill of Rights, and they're being taught not only should they reject all of those fundamental basic American ideas, but you're supposed to hate everybody else who dares to even slightly disagree. Don't speak to them, knock them out of your lives, never speak to them again, treat them as though they're a non-person because they dare to disagree with you. It is divisive, it is ugly, it is a horrible thing, and it is happening in families and among friendships in this country and has been happening. It's at its peak right now and probably only getting worse as more and more people recognize how radically left the current administration is. As more Americans wake up and say, wait a minute, we didn't vote for this. Who voted for this? No one voted for what the left-wing agenda is doing in Washington. No one voted for this. You have more people getting concerned, more expressions of concern about the election of 2020, and more of the, uh, you know, putting a fuel on the fire of the woke left trying to inspire people to say, don't talk about it, don't discuss the news, don't discuss the facts, don't dive in, don't understand, just take your marching orders from us. Anyone disagrees with us is to be completely vilified and silenced and ignored and shunned and ridiculed. People, America doesn't deserve this. America is a country rooted and grounded on the beautiful concepts laid out in the Bill of Rights, including freedom of speech, and the concept, which was used to be the hallmark of Western civilization, the robust debate of ideas. We don't have debate of ideas on any topic anymore. We have angry leftist, wokeness, hate, and people on the right trying to say, wait, wait a minute, what happened to America? What happened to the idea of freedom of speech? What happened to the idea of freedom of assembly? which I'll wrap up the first five by making a point about a, a topic I'll come back to, I don't know, sometime this week, I'm not sure what day, but in California, um, there was a, a rally, uh, Devin Nunes, who's who, you know, one of the heroes of the Republican Congress, Devin Nunes held a freedom fest. That's what he called it, a freedom fest. And it happens, he is from an area in central California where my husband grew up. And so I actually got to meet Devin Nunes a couple of times and told him, we know right where you're from. My husband's from this small town there too. But he held a Freedom Fest and he had a lot of conservative thinkers come and talk to the group there. And one of the points that many of them were trying to make is this basic concept that in America, you're allowed to have actual disagreement, robust debate of ideas, but that we are reaching a point where you can't have them anymore. You can't even talk about how you see a different issue, whether it's immigration, building a border wall, uh, whether or not we should be part of the Iranian deal or not, whether or not we should raise taxes, every issue is tortured by the left into an issue that's either you're with the woke left or else shut up.
And these people at this, at this fabulous Freedom Fest, the Devin Nunes' thing, were saying, you know, we have to, as Americans, recognize this wokeness thing. They were talking about wokeness. I am. But the wokeness thing that is driving the left, uh, the left's political agitation, political conversation, political messaging, is all about shutting down any debate. And these folks who were at Devin Nunes' Freedom Fest, who spoke up, including Victor Davis Hansen was there, just brilliant, brilliant thinker, are talking about the idea we're losing our country. We don't have a country if it gets destroyed by the Marxist agenda, destroyed by socialism, or if our whole concept of freedom of speech is destroyed by the left who's saying, you aren't allowed to talk about anything unless we say you can. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. As I mentioned at the start of the show, we have a guest joining us in studio, which I always love, Leland Burke. Uh, he is running for Dallas City Council. And as if you listen to my show all the time, you know pretty much we're on national news and national issues. But as I mentioned recently, we had elections in Dallas here in my hometown, Dallas, uh, which were on May 1st. And they were basically, they're Saturday elections and they were local elections, all kinds of school board, city council, local elections. But these big national issues were right in the middle of all of those elections. We've been talking to different people who won and who are in runoffs about really the national issues we're concerned about in America uh, being front and center right here in Texas and in other local races around the country. So Leland Burke is running for city council. He's in a runoff. Uh, so he's got, uh, so we're down to one other uh, person in the race. Um, and I want to have him come and talk about, you know, we here in Dallas, okay, if you're listening from around the country, because I know a lot of our listeners are all over the country, People think, oh, Texas is so red, rock solid red, so conservative. We have law and order. We don't have, you know what? Texas is in the middle of the um, changing American political conversation too. A lot of issues facing us in Texas, including budget, of course, including uh, dealing with an extreme rise in crime in Dallas and the arguments of defunding the police. And those are the kinds of issues I want to talk today with Leland Burke. So hello, Mr. Burke. Hello, Debbie. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. I am glad you're here, and I'm just going to jump right in. So sure. first of all, I will tell you, first of all, I know you're a successful businessman, which I think sets you apart from the rest of the council. But before I get to that, sure. why was someone who's actually been really successful in business and, and able to provide a life for yourself, being successful in business, why would you run for city council, honestly? Well, Debbie, that's a great question, and it's been asked quite a bit during this campaign. <laughs> sure. And I'll tell you, my family and a few of my close friends have asked me if I need to see a psychiatrist. Why would <laughs> anybody do this? But I have to tell you, um, I had some great mentors in my own family growing up, uh, folks who were always involved in significant ways giving back to the community. And the minute they had the resources and the time to do that, uh, they were they were very active. And so um, I, I would have to say that it is running in my bloodstream. Uh, it's in my DNA. And uh, I have wanted to serve for a long, long time. My very first job uh, uh, in, at, when I was in college was uh, it, at in Washington. I went to work for Senator John Tower. And, oh, uh, Senator, Texas guy. Yes, and <laughs> Senator Tower was the first Republican elected in Texas since Reconstruction. Yeah. Ronald Reagan was president when I was there. I actually, uh, I was an intern to Senator Tower, and I actually wow. got a got a check uh, every couple of weeks from the uh, United States Treasury. So that was that was very exciting, you know, for a, for a That's quite 19 a memory. year wow. old. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, it was electrifying for me to be in Washington. And I knew that I would do this one day. And so here I am. 
In a, in a runoff. In a runoff, in a runoff you runoff. are. Yes. Well, I, I'll tell you, as a Dallas resident, I know there are plenty of issues that appeal to other people. My main thing I'm concerned about is in Texas, and I mentioned to our listeners, because I think, as I said earlier, I think a lot of people will figure Texas is so rock solid, law and order, they wouldn't have this defund the police issue. But we have the defund the police issue right here in Texas. Can you explain what the city council did about that? I sure can. So um, we had uh, we have a 14-1 system. We have 14 single member districts and the mayor. And um, back uh, last summer, uh, an, an initiative began at the Dallas City Council, led by a few of the council members, uh, to uh, quote defund the police. And what they did was. We had about $24 million scheduled for police overtime. And um, there was an effort to uh, bring that down to $7 million. I'm sorry, 24 to seven. 24 to $7 okay. million dollars to fund police overtime, which was a big mistake. Uh, you know, we were in a political environment at that time with uh, uh, quite a bit of the national news that I'm sure you've talked about on this show often. Um, that was a political response to what was happening nationally. And unfortunately, uh, they did lower it to $7 million. Um, that was a uh, political uh, stunt that resulted in making Dallas less safe because we are now six months into the current fiscal year and we are already $1 million deficit on our police overtime funding. So we've gone through the $7 million and we now have to dip into our emergency funds to continue to pay our officers for their overtime. And it made absolutely no sense. And I, everyone in District 13 knows that I will not support a budget that attempts to defund our police. We need to fund up our police. We have the highest murder rate of any major city in the state of Texas. Dallas and does. Dallas, Texas. Oh and so uh, this is a huge problem. Uh, we also have a growing population. We have 2,000 people a day moving into Dallas. Wait, wait, so 2,000 a day? 2,000 a day Dallas? moving to Dallas. We have a lot of great things happening here, but we've got to get our crime rate under control. And as I travel the district and knock on doors every single day, the number one issue is public safety. Of so it is, un it is unconscionable that we would be, uh, we would be defunding our police while at the same time our population is growing. And if think, you know, I hope you haven't had to call 911, but if you do in Dallas right now, you're likely to be put on hold. And so for the higher priority calls, our response times have been increasing, which is, which is not good, especially if you're in serious trouble. So um, public safety is the number one issue, no question about it. Oh, for sure it is. And I will tell you, I don't know what, I can't pinpoint the time, but as you recall, not very many years ago, there was a police officer who was speaking out saying, you know, we don't have enough police officers as it is. So he was actually agitating publicly to saying, to urge people to have a city council add more police officers. And this, I mean, it's like three or four years ago. Yeah, you're saying correct. There aren't enough people to serve. There aren't enough officers. And then, as you're saying, the, the lag time of call versus police arrive. And it's one thing if you're just reporting someone broke your windshield, which is bad, yeah. but someone's in my house or That's he's right. trying to get in my house. And you can't, and, and here in Texas, we cannot get sufficient funding for police. So, and I, I'm going to tell you one other thing about this uh, effort. This, I think, I don't know if you said stunt or I'll say stunt, but this concept of saying, because I, I know one other person ran for city council and she, she did not make it to a runoff, mm -hmm. but she was vilified by our local media for saying 
Dallas defunded the police. And they were kind of mocking her, saying they didn't defund. Well, it, it's just it's it's game playing with words, right? I mean, if it you is. It is. And and if you want to, you know, if you want to be uh, technically correct, they they shifted seven million dollars out of police overtime funding, and they kept it within the budget, but they're using it for other purposes, which were non-essential. So the the term defunding you could argue it two ways but they did defund police overtime and 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 really to your point um we we have had in the past we had uh chief david kunkel yep. and we had chief brown after him yep. these two came in when our crime rate was at a high point like it is today but they had 3600 officers we're below th we're below 3000 officers now Wow, so, that is so a huge. We need to, we need we need nine hundred more officers right now, and and when they had that kind of police manpower, they were able to bring the crime rate down by double digits. They actually had had established or reestablished great relations between the police and minority communities in Dallas, and we had great morale within the department. So we we've got a lot of we've got a lot of work to do in the Dallas Police. We have a new chief. He's doing great. He's focused on hot spots, which represent really five percent of the geographic area of the city. You know, spread out, but it's five percent that represents where the majority of the crimes are committed. So we're we're targeting those hot spots, and and there's really good signs that it's beginning to work. So, um, but we can't do it if we can't retain our officers. So we've got to rebuild our, our force so that we have enough manpower for crime prevention. And that's what it's all about. It is, as you say, it's about the number one issue. Yeah. Number one issue, just you can't, you can't function as a city. And actually as a city resident and taxpayer, yeah. it's the number one thing I want out of the city. I want them to fund the police so we have, a, we have civil society. That's Absolutely, and think about this. Eight years ago, we had a $2 billion budget Today, we have almost a $4 billion budget in the city of Dallas. I don't feel twice as safe. Our budget no. is twice as big. We're not twice as safe. We're less safe. So this is about priorities. And that's yeah. what I'll be laser focused on when I'm on the Dallas City Council. I asked you at the beginning, or I referred in the beginning, and then um, want to let you talk about it a little bit. But sure. you know, the among the things city council people have to do is balance budgets. And, and obviously, yes. just like you learn as a homeowner, if you're going to spend more in one area, you're going to have to take away somewhere else. But to right. be a business owner, you have to make those decisions over the years, depending on the situation at the time, whatever the product or services you're making. So, I mean, tell us quickly about your business background in terms of the number of years, and then do you, do you, are you going to be unique on city council in bringing business experience? Well, let me answer that this way. Um, I went into business about 35 years ago. Uh, I founded First Independent National Bank. We actually built one of our branches in the heart of District 13. Well, say again, First? First Independent National Bank. You founded that? I did. Okay, and, that's cool. Uh, it's, now, it's now called Prosperity Bank. We yeah. sold the banks to Prosperity Bank. And, uh, and, so, and I've been an investor for 35 years. But one of the things when you when you sit on the credit committee of, of, of a national bank, you learn good deals from bad deals. And so I have um, I will be in fact when elected, I will be the only candidate or the only member of council 
that brings a finance and business background of that significance to the city council. We have no business people on the and from the mayor down, um, and which is which is really pretty scary if you think about it. A four billion dollar budget and no one with serious business and finance background. So that that is um, and you know every council member brings a unique perspective. But that that will be and I would hope that. Council members without that background would reach out to me for guidance on certain areas, as sure. I will reach out for uh, guidance in other areas from, from other council members. Absolutely. I'm always making this argument, actually, with respect to Congress. Yeah. I would like more people in Congress with business backgrounds who've actually run a, a business or, and, and, and balance sector. a budget. Certainly. And so this is, but at the local level, it's the same thing. So um, I want to, I wish we had longer talk today. I know your website is lelandburke.com, and for right. our happy listeners, L-E-L-A-N-D-B-U-R-K, LelandBurke.com. Uh, running for city council is a knock on doors. Go to every single little meeting you can find. It is not a, it, it's not the glamorous big, you know, speeches with big crowds and the media there. It is a, it is a conversation with constituents in your potential district, telling who you are. And that's what the, and these are, these are hard fought, hard working uh, races. And I really urge you, if you are, my, if you're in Dallas in District 13, please go look at his website, LelandBurke.com. LelandBurke.com uh, and take a look at his record, his background, because I agree with what he's saying. I think we need a business person on city council bringing business thinking. And last thing I'll let you answer, if you sure. would, is what is the story on the election? We have we have a, a early voting and then the final yes. runoff. So uh, early voting begins on Monday, May 24th, and uh, early voting goes through uh, goes through June the 1st, uh, and then uh, election day is Saturday, June the 5th. Okay. Yes, and so I urge everyone, if you if you if you need to vote uh, by mail, get your ballot fast. Uh, you have to you have to request it, and then they mail it to you. Yep. Uh, and so, uh, if you have plans to travel or be out of town, get on it and and get that mail-in ballot. Or if you can vote early, um, please uh, vote. And if if you have to wait till Saturday, don't miss Saturday, June the fifth. Okay. Perfect. Thank you very much. Folks, I want to say this also in wrapping up. Everybody grumbles about government, uh, including yours truly. Grumbles about things, about taxes, about policy, about where is the government. Well, the only way you can change it is to vote. And we have a pitiful percentage turnout in local elections. And I understand why, because they aren't the headline stories that grab national news. They're not the stories you're going to read in the big websites you like to go to. But these local elections, including city council, school mm -hmm. board, they change everything in your life. They change things tremendously. So don't forget to vote. Uh, and wherever you are in America, many other places, maybe in the middle of early voting or voting on really important local elections, uh, you know, this is how you take back your country one local election at a time. Leland Burke, thank you so much thank for you, joining Debbie. me. I really Great appreciate it. Thank you for what you do. Thank you, sir. Okay. I, I enjoy it, as you, you probably too. can tell. Yeah. Okay. So thank you. Very, I want to urge you to go to his website, LelandBurke.com. And I have two other stories, which I want to regale you with today. Um, and they are, uh, number one is I want to talk about Biden's job report and cutting unemployment. And I, I'm not being... It isn't because it's Biden is a Democrat. It's because the policies that left-wingers put in place cause these kinds of outcomes. So I wanted to tell you, so there was a hugely, or as Trump would say, hugely anticipated jobs report. And there were just, I'm gonna tease you with a few headlines that came out where the uh, informed media were just 
just uh, titillated with excitement about the idea that the Biden job report was going to come out. And that, in fact, what you were going to find out was that, you know, these great policies the left puts in place can be great job numbers. I mean, the headlines were things like a jobs report for the ages. Well, that turned out to be true. Um, U.S. economy likely created nearly a million jobs in April. The reason that I want to bring this up is because the jobs report was the worst miss, the biggest miss in job report history. Meaning, so far fewer jobs, so fewer jobs, many fewer jobs were created than all of the exuberant media anticipated. The job report was ugly. It was a commentary on the American economy. It was a commentary on the fact that we have in our country millions of people newly added to the, in some form, welfare dole, which is in this case, in the context of today, COVID unemployment, some other way in which are being paid money by the government to not work. So after these numbers, this just crushing defeat of the Biden administration um, came to reality, um, they, were, they were quick trying to scramble um, and talk about well, you know, it really wasn't, uh, it wasn't that big a miss. I mean, and it was the biggest miss ever. In fact, I urge you, if you go to our website, americacanwetalk.org, on the homepage under shows, drop down list of links, I urge you to read the articles in there. But the quick, um, quick uh, what I wanted, the point I want to make about several things. One is that uh, Biden was asked, President Biden was asked, so do you think the poor jobs report is tied in any way to the fact that you keep on, or I mean, sure it wasn't asked in his most direct manner, is it tied to the fact that all these COVID benefits keep being created and more and more people are being paid not to work? To which he said, oh, no, no, that's nothing to do with it. So, I mean, this is a simple refusal to connect the dots of reality on the tie of the Biden team. They're trying to say to America that, no, the fact that, that all this, there are many, many jobs open, many people looking for jobs, looking to hire somebody. So jobs open, and yet so many people receiving COVID payments, but no connection there. And you, know, you hear it anecdotally, you hear people talking about things like how the, um, you know, employers will say, well, I, I, you know, I either reopen my restaurant, reopen my business, expand my business, try to hire new people, and they can't get anybody hired. They can't get people to work because they'll literally call back employees who used to work for them and say, hey, we're open again, come on back. And here are these anecdotal stories. These employers, business owners will say, well, the people say, why, why should I work? I'm, I don't want to work. I'm sitting home watching football. You know, why would I work? And so Biden can't deal with that reality. So he had a you know, very quick uh, blaming Trump, of course, blaming Trump for who even knows, does it even matter why, blaming Trump. Uh, he had some, in fact, there was a, um, a chart and I meant to send it to Matt the Wonderful and I forgot to do that. And I hope I can um, grab it or just tell you about it. But President Biden, um, there are in this country at least 7.4 million job openings there are at least 7.4 million job openings, and yet last month only 266,000 people found a new job. There are job openings, but nobody's applying. And Biden's trying to say, oh, no, not my fault, you know, not the fault. So his answer was the answer of the Biden administration was to take those bad numbers, those bad job numbers, and say, well, you know, the answer, of course, is that we have to have another stimulus. 
We're going, are using it to justify these massive spending bills he is proposing and trying to push through Congress. His answer, which is the socialist answer to unemployment, is not to say, well, you know what, we've got to try to inspire these people in some way to go back to work, to take some of these jobs that are open. No, no, no. When you're a leftist, when you're a socialist, you don't encourage people to find jobs. You encourage them to become more dependent on government. You encourage them, by, you incentivize them by saying, don't worry, stay seated, stay in your house, watch football, don't worry. We're doing another incentive program or we're gonna create a program and create government jobs. And this, is, this was what the Biden team's answer was. We're going to create more government jobs. This is the answer to a bad jobs report. And he actually, I wish I grabbed the clip. I might try to get it for tomorrow. Biden actually could not bring himself to acknowledge that maybe one reason of such a bad jobs report was because everyone has figured out you don't have to work because the government will just pay you anyway. But other people in this country who have their head on straight, including, for example, the wonderful governor of Florida, Governor DeSantis, announced that his state, the GOP governors, including him, including DeSantis, announced they're slashing, cutting, reducing unemployment benefits. And they're doing it in part because business owners are going to are going to the government, going to the governor saying, could you please slash unemployment so I can get someone to come and work? I mean, I mean, I say these things, I know I sound exasperated, but this is like kindergarten economics. This is kindergarten level thinking that somehow the Biden team either can't or won't do. The concept that some people, some portion of people will not work if the government makes it easy to not work. And they don't want to admit that because it is actually one of the main ploys of the Democrat Party, which they've used over decades to grow the dependency class in America, to grow the class of people who don't believe in themselves, don't believe in the concept of self-reliance. They don't believe in themselves. So they wait for the government, next program to come along, next promise, next handout. And so the Biden administration, in a country where there are millions of jobs open, employers looking to hire people. And again, I'm gonna get this information was from, I think that guy, really cool guy at Fox, uh, Charles Payne. 7.4 million job openings, but by uh, currently private sector, people who want to hire someone, but the Biden team answers, no, 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 you know, I'm sure that our handouts for free have not in any way contributed to the fact that all these jobs aren't being filled. The answer of the Biden team, which is the socialist answer is create more jobs via the government. We're gonna find government jobs. We're gonna create government jobs. We're gonna take more money from the taxpayer, take money out of the private sector, you know, put in a big pile in Washington, create new jobs, pay people out of those jobs instead of encouraging, inspiring people to look for jobs in the private sector that already exist. But thank goodness for America, we have conservative governors. Um, in fact, uh, pandemic relief efforts are ending earlier than scheduled in Arkansas, Montana, and South Carolina. Florida is expected to follow suit as Republican governors nationwide respond to pleas from business to encourage Americans to return to work. I mean, I, I mean that the whole concept that we even have to have a discussion it is really troubling. And the whole concept that there are people in Washington on the Democrat side who will continue to vote for Biden's latest spending pro program to create jobs is just, I, I mean, it is, a, it, it, 
cannot be excused any longer as we're just trying to help. COVID was really bad. We have to help people. We just believe in helping people. You are aiding and abetting the socialist agenda to create a more dependent society in America. If you continue to support COVID handouts, extended handouts, ex all it is, is it's just another form of welfare using COVID as an excuse. So you have Republican governors stepping up. You'd love to have some of the Democrat governors realize too, they can't function entirely um, on uh, the uh, handout mentality for all time. But for right now, uh, it is apparently the answer that the Biden team is going to re rely on. Uh, they are not going to attempt to fix the unemployment problem by uh, inspiring people to work in the private sector because this isn't what socialists do. They don't want people in the private sector building companies and businesses and selling services and products. They want more people dependent on government. Okay, one last story for today. And um, I'll tell you folks, I just, um, I, I love doing this show. When I get around to Monday, it's a real, it's a killer to decide which things to talk about because there were so many stories, so many important stories over the weekend. I'll get to them during the week. One thing before I do get to this story, the Washington Post Ducks Kill Chain, um, I want to uh, tell you about um, Thursday's show. This week, you know, this show, America Can We Talk, we have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Everyone can watch. It's available everywhere. It's at 3 p.m. Central Time. The Thursday show is a members-only show. And on that Thursday show, we have a, a beautiful studio here, the same uh, studio I'm at, but a different um, studio here. And we have an audience, an in-place audience, in-studio audience. We have a, um, a live interview. I mean, sometimes it's just me, but sometimes it's with an interview. And um, the whole point of this is the Thursday shows from members only, only accessible on our website, americacanwetalk.org. You can join America Can We Talk. And this Thursday, our guest is going to be the chair, the chairwoman of the Arizona Republican Party, Dr. Kelly Ward. She is front and center, front and center in the battle in America over the election of 2020. In Maricopa County, the largest county in terms of population in Arizona, and the county where Phoenix is located, and the county where there's just been ongoing disputes in, in, uh, in Arizona about whether or not the Board of Supervisors in Maricopa County had to permit a review of the voting machines and the ballots and the router, all the things attached to the elections of 2020. Even after court orders, even after the legislature ordered, the Maricopa County audit is slowly proceeding. And if you ever wanted a signal that people on the left are worried about this recount, we were at an event, my husband and I were, not too long ago, and President Trump spoke. And one thing he was making the point was that the Democrat Party, he used the term 100 lawyers, I'm not sure it was 100, but how um, the Democrats had sent 100 lawyers to Maricopa County to argue over, over the recount, to argue against the audit, to interfere with the audit. There have been step after step after step ongoing to this very moment, efforts by the American left to interfere with and block and stop the recount of votes in Maricopa County. As I've said before, why would you want to block a recount if you believe the results were honest? There is no other answer. The only answer is they're worried what the outcome of this audit will be. 
they're worried about fraud being exposed. But this Thursday on my members only show, Dr. Kelly Ward in studio with us at Q&A. And by the way, the Q&A involves not just the people in the audience, but people who are members of America Can We Talk. You can email in questions ahead of time for our guest. And if you are part of our texting program, you can text in a question. You can watch the show live on our website, americacanwetalk.org. When you're a member, you can watch a show live and you can comment right during the live show. Matt, the wonderful sitting there, he's got the website up, he's got the texting site up, and people texting questions. People, this is going to be very exciting. So if you haven't joined America Can We Talk yet, please do. It's very simple. You go to americacanwetalk.org. On the home page, there is a across the top, the tabs across the top, members. Hit members, and up it comes, join now. It is $5 a month or $50 a year. As I've had many people say to me, you, should, you could have charged three times as I would have paid. It's not expensive. It is a great way to stay in more involved, intimate political conversation about saving America. So this Thursday, Kelly Ward, I hope many of you join this week. Again, go to americacanwetalk.org. Under the members, just hit members. Up comes the choice to join now. You join, you sign up with either $5 a month or $50 a year, and you can watch every single Thursday show for a year. And you watch them online. You can participate in the conversation. You can send in questions. If you want to email in a question ahead of time, you can email me at americacanwetalk.org at gmail.com and in the subject line put question for Thursday guest so I know what it is because believe me I get way too many emails but if you put in the subject line question for Thursday guest then say you know in the body hey would you please ask Kelly Ward blah 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 I will try I, I usually get to those in these member shows but this is a very exciting member show on Thursday I would love to have you join America can we talk we have several other extremely exciting guests coming up and I love the idea of creating an American political conversation among patriots on my Thursday shows please join I, and I love, I'd love to have you you'll have a great time you'll enjoy being part of it now, on the final um, topic for today, uh, WAPO is Washington Post, in case you didn't know, WAPO Ducks Kill Chain. So, I told you last week that I was contacted by a Washington Post reporter uh, named John Swain, and he basically sent a bunch of questions to me um, because on this show, I previously hosted, uh, had as a guest on the show, a gentleman named Russ Ramsland, and he was the founder and the head of an organization called ASOG, A-S-O-G, Allied Securities Operations Group. So ASOG uh, was one back in 2018. So long before the 2020 presidential elections in 2018, ASOG uh, was asked by, uh, I'm not sure who, but somebody in Dallas had asked them to look into the results of the midterm elections in 2018. The gist of the concern was that the numbers just looked off. I'm not a super numbers person, but I know that the contact was made to ASOG. And to be clear, Russ Ramsland is not a cybersecurity guru, but he is the head of an organization that hires people who have military training, their former NSA and super high level cybersecurity experts who have been worked in the field, who are educated in the field, and who can look and dive deeply into cybersecurity and look into things online that I would, and you and I probably have no idea how to look up. So 
that team in 2018 concluded that there had been electronic interference in the, in the election voting machines. Short, I mean, a short-term way of saying it is vote hacking. People hacking in to the voting machines and changing votes. And so he tried to bring this report and this study, and he had different people involved in explaining how it was done. And he tried to bring it to numerous officials at various levels. And all of them, uh, he could not get uh, traction, couldn't get someone with the authority and the um, commitment to dive in and really and, and get only, what only the government can do. You know, only the government could you know, launch an investigation, issue subpoenas, I mean, do the kind of official formal investigation. Couldn't get that done. That happened in 2018. And then in 2020, again, his organization came up with information reaching a conclusion that there had been electronic interference with voting machines, vote hacking in the 2020 elections, and that some votes had been, some voting machines data had been hacked into and votes were changed. That was his allegation, ASOG's allegation. I've had him on this show, uh, Russ Ramsland, uh, think three times total, but the most recent time was after the November election, and he sat right in the studio with me and ran through what he understood the data to be. So that's why I got contacted by Washington Post. They basically said, you know, um, that they concluded, they, the Washington Post, had concluded that there was no election fraud in 2020, that there was certainly no reason to believe anything about what um, the Ramsland team was saying about electronic election fraud and basically had one of those kind of do you still beat your wife kind of questions of you know essentially uh do, you know do you think that you participated in helping spread false information um, about the election so i answer them and if you go to our website americacanwetalk.org in the blog portion you can read i i put out there before uh the article was even going to come out i put out there the questions they sent me and the answers i gave because i don't have anything to hide I am not an election expert, I never claimed I was. I am not an expert on, um, on, on the uh, use uh, of people who have that kind of uh, hacking expertise. I just know, I mean, I, I happen to know Russ Ramsland. I've known him for years, because I live here in Dallas. He's politically active and so am I. Um, I didn't claim to be an expert, but I, I answered my, the questions forthrightly. So the Washington Post article came out today. And I will tell you that because of having been involved a little bit politically, I knew other people involved who had been questioned by the Washington Post. And so I talked to them a little bit, you know, and, but didn't know what is coming out today. The article is linked on our website at americacanwetalk.org under, on the home page under shows, drop down list of links, list of links. The article is called The Making of a Myth. And it's basically a 22 page, because I printed it out, 22 page, pretty much hit piece on Russ Ramsland and on ASOG, and trying to say essentially that he either he didn't know what he was talking about or that his experts didn't know what they're talking about or, you know, just is a total hit piece, which, you know, this is Washington Post and, and uh, that's what they did. But I wanted to talk about today several things that are not in the article. Everything they spoke about in this article was essentially what ASOG is, you know, the steps Russ Ramson had made to try to get uh, other people an authority to look at it, um, the efforts he'd made to get some people who may have lost elections because of election fraud of this kind to maybe have them become involved and maybe be a plaintiff in litigation. It describes all these efforts, very much contrived, very much um, written in a way, a mocking ridicule, you know, of Russ Ramsland as kind of a, you know, 
which I, I can't think of a good word, just, just kind of hapless or, or, or not, very, um, not very competent. And again, I'll tell you, he never claims in anything I've ever heard him say that he himself is a cybersecurity, you know, super trained expert. He just knows what his team came up with and that's what he reported. But I want to mention some things they didn't put in this report because I think they're really, really consequential. One thing is there was a film called Kill Chain, a film called Kill Chain, which I mentioned to you in the past and the Kill Chain film is something that was put out by the leftists, by the leftists, not by uh, conservatives, but by leftists. And I think it was 2019. I'm trying to see quickly if it was 2019 or 2018, but maybe in early 2020. In any case, um, Kill Chain was a documentary put out by HBO in which they described how easy it is to hack into electronic voting machines. Backing up to Washington Post, the central point they're trying to make in their, their article today, their hit piece on Russ Ramsden is that it's absurd to think that anyone could hack in to a voting machine. That's the basic point they're trying to make. Absurd to think this. Well, Kill Chain was an HBO documentary put out featuring Democrats who were worried and clear as day that electronic voting machines can be hacked. And they put it out before the 2020 elections because they were trying to say, hey, we really better watch out here because, you know, Donald Trump, might, he might do something. I don't think they say Donald Trump, but they're worried about what the, that somehow the Republicans will use the vulnerability of electronic voting machines to somehow steal the election. And featured in this film, featured in this film, Amy Klobuchar. You're thinking, I know that name. Democrat candidate for president is in this film, front and center, saying that the very, very concerning electronic voting machines are very vulnerable. It's very dangerous, blah, 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 blah. She's saying that Mark Warner, Ron Wyden, and James Lankford, all these senators agreed to go on camera in this film called Kill Chain to talk about how vulnerable the voting machines are to hacking. So in my reply to Washington Post, I said, hey, you know, you might want to check out Kill Chain because you're trying to act like it doesn't, this couldn't happen, but it seems that it could. So I sent Matt the wonderful, the um, trailer for this Kill Chain film and just uh, actually just a little bit segment of it, but I'm going to ask Matt to play that now. Voting is our capability to have a peaceful transfer of power. If you don't have that, the alternatives are revolutions. We call them voting machines, but they're nothing more than obsolete computers. 2002 is when they put them in service. A commonly used argument. They are never connected to the internet. No voting machines are connected to the internet. Not connected to the internet. Not connected to the internet, and therefore cannot be attacked. Oh, it wants to go to internet. That's very nice. In 2016, we know that Russian actors targeted state election systems. When people say no votes were changed, it misses the point. Imagine you go in and flip the digits of everybody's address. When you prevent people from casting a ballot, you've hacked an election. Hackers are a wonderful resource. Every voting machine in this room is in use in next election. We are here three days a year. The real adversaries, they run it 24-7 with massive funding. 
We may be buying the world's best 20th century military when the battlefront is election security. I had full access. I could have changed any vote. It's called a kill chain. Weaponization, paralyzation, when the governments cannot take action, that's when you finish the target. Okay, again, that film featured Democrat senators. It's a leftist-oriented film trying to argue essentially that you better watch out about the electronic voting machines because they could be hacked. So in that, my reply to Washington Post, I said you should check out Kill Chain because if you're going to try to argue that voting machines just cannot be hacked, I don't think you should be... I, I tried to tell them that. So I want to tell you something else that, that was in that film. A little more detail. So they actually had, um, they, they held a, I don't know, even call it an exercise or something, but they held an exercise um, in a uh, real location, a, a real live um, exercise where they had actual voting machines in this room. And they said these hackers, okay, these are actual voting machines going to be used in the 2020 elections. See if you can hack them. And the basic thing, um, first of all, I want to make clear that people who tried to claim that there was no possibility of electronic manipulation of voter tabulation software, people who said voting machines cannot be hacked, all said because they're not connected to the internet. You just heard all those people on the little film trailer say they're not connected to the internet, not connected to the internet, blah, blah. And then that little little piece that said, well, look, lo and behold, here we are. Okay, so what they did, they had the films, the characters in this film um, had an interview with an anonymous hacker from India um, who said he hacked Alaska's vote counting computer systems on the day of the 26th election. So they have, they had a room where they said, okay, try to hack in. I mean, and, and the hackers were almost instantaneous. Oh yeah, I could have hacked in. I could have changed votes. So the premise of the film was not, um, you know, uh, speculative. They're showing what they could do. They were reporting people who said in 2016, one guy saying, I hacked into Alaska's vote counting computer. I had full access. I could have changed any vote. So back to Washington Post, they don't mention this film, nor do they in any way contemplate the idea that voting machines could have been hacked but they weren't. They're just basically, it's, it's, it's as the left always does, it is a hit piece on a person. It is a, to loop back to the start of our show today, it is a cancel culture, destroy this person. It is a, we're woke, we understand the mission now, destroy this person, and that's what they're going to do. So I am not claiming everything Russ Ramsey ever said in every speech or any article. I know, and he would acknowledge, at various points in the campaign, he made mistakes in, in data or in filings. I'm not saying he's perfect, but I'm saying the point of this article in the Washington Post is to try to reassure America that there's no possible ability of anyone to electronically hack voting machines and to say for sure absolutely it never happened and anyone who says it happened is kind of a tinfoil hat person and yet they this this commentary i mean this documentary kill chain exists people have seen it in the millions and you you watch it and you realize of course these are accessible the the you know voting machines are accessible and they can be hacked 
And the reason all this matters, I want to go, and I'll tell you, number one, I think, a troubling aspect of this is that they're just trying to, um, they, they will not acknowledge the reality of what was presented in Kill Chain. And when their own side, Amy Klobuchar and others, were agreeing, of course, the, the voting machines are vulnerable. Number two, in this piece, I mean, it is just a hit piece on, on that, um, by Russ Ramson and on ASOG, it's just a hit piece on them. But it does not address, and what I recommended when I wrote back to the reporter who asked me, I said, you know, even if you decide that there was no electronic election fraud in, in 2020, if you think there was none, there are many other anomalies that occurred in the, in the elections. And I went through, I fully, very, very evenly uh, and presented with URL links, presented data, you know, the, just data, 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 saying there are a lot of reasons that well-informed, intelligent Americans are upset about the 2020 election results and are curious, do feel like they can't trust the results. And one of those significant reasons is because you never could get the Department of Justice and the FBI to dedicate the resources and the energy and the relentlessness in tracking down electronic election fraud in the same way they were willing to track down the non-existent Trump-Russia collusion. I mean, you had the DOJ, FBI, you know, working night and day for three and a half years, trying to prove something that wasn't true, spending hundreds of thousands, it was probably millions of hours and hundreds of thousands of, of, um, of, of interviews and depositions and, and deposition hours, all of that dedicated to a non-existent, you know, conspiracy theory of Trump-Russia collusion. But when you had real concerns and you had the Kill Chain movie, help them. They, they could see that movie too. No one interested in trying to look into election fraud. And I'll go back and tell you what I care about so much about this election fraud stuff. I am not one who says, hey, yeah, we're probably going to overturn the election. Hey, man, you know, that, that is not why, what I'm thinking. That's not, that not what's going to happen. But if in 2020, the American people actually chose Trump over Biden, which I still believe they did, then the American people, the grassroots, the state legislatures, the governors should all be motivated to fight against the Biden Marxist agenda in this country. The legislature should be willing to say, we're not going to comply with HR1. We're not going to have federal government takeover of the elections in our country. We're not going to comply with the Green New Deal and the radical Marxist takeover of industry in this country. We're not going to comply with all of these crazy, out of control, left-wing, big government, totalitarian, tyrannical policies coming out of Washington because the American people didn't choose them. The American people rejected them. And because the American people rejected them, and we all know it, we're not complying. This is my reason for wanting to continue to insist that people who talk about election fraud should be forced to address the whole picture. Washington Post wants to do a smarmy hit piece on somebody. You know, that's what they do. Okay, that's what they do. But it is not the case that just because they can write a hit, hit piece that's smarmy and cruel and, and just, just, you know, um, with blinders on, we're not going to talk about kill chain. We're not going to admit that, you know, everyone claimed the, the voting machines were not accessible to the Internet. Turns out they were. We're not going to talk about that. All we're going to talk about is how we, how we can make someone look stupid. They have an agenda in doing that. 
They have an agenda in continuing to try to get the American people to go along with the leftist agenda spewing out of the Biden administration. My agenda is a pro-America, pro-freedom, pro-free elections, pro-honest elections, pro-free speech, pro-freedom of religion, pro-American agenda, including the agenda of an America that has free markets, lives in freedom, rejects socialism, has a secure border. That's my agenda. And I think the agenda of the American people is what Trump said it was. The American people wanted that Trump agenda. That's why they voted for it. And the American people should not have to live under the misery that the left-wing policies spewing out of the Biden administration will impose on America. That's the reason to continue talking about what happened in 2020. And it's the reason to not just throw your hands up after the Washington Post comes out with their hit pieces. Okay, well, I guess they sure made him look bad. I guess we're done talking about it. No, no, no. We're going to insist in America that, in fact, there was new information coming out. Uh, I mean, whatever's going to come out of Maricopa County will be out very soon. We'll find out more from Kelly Ward on Thursday. Maricopa County is going to come out. There's going to be more information. There was a, a, a story over the weekend about the census data, the census data being released, and how the census data was inconsistent with the voting turnout. It was like the census data claimed that there were, there were 4 million view, uh, fewer voters than the number of votes tallied. I haven't looked into that. I gotta dive in and understand the story before I present it to you, but there are plenty of reasons to doubt the 2020 election results, the 2020 announced election results. And the main one is that I do not believe that the American people chose a radical left agenda that Biden is trying to inflict on this country. And many of the ways they're trying to inflict this left wing, tyrannical, totalitarian leftist agenda are going to be in ways very, very, very hard for the American people to unwind. That's always how leftists do it. It's how Obamacare got written, acknowledged by people at the time, written in a way to be very, very, very hard to repeal because the slithering tentacles of regulations and interrelations between agencies and federal statutes and regulations were just going to make it, the intention was to make it too hard to untangle. And much of what the left is doing now, the growing federal control over society, the economy that will come out in the Green New Deal legislation, um, all of that will be intended to further the left's agenda of a massive, all-powerful, tyrannical, totalitarian leftist government in Washington and the freedoms of the people tossed aside and all of that under, passed and pushed under the guise of we're just trying to help. We're just trying to help the American people. We're just trying to make life better. Why don't you be with us and let us help make America better? The left sells their agenda by claiming they're trying to help. What they're trying to do is take control of America and end freedom and free markets to crush free speech, to crush freedom of religion. It's the leftist agenda we're watching unfold in Washington and patriots in this country who love this precious country need to be on guard and stand up and speak up for the goodness and greatness of this country. At the close of every show, I tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we start our show today with a wokeness pandemic killing America. Um, and then I just, I, um, I love, and I'm going to be talking more about wokeness, my friends, because I do think there's something 
people who are woke are very proud of themselves. They, they think they're really way ahead of the curve. But anyway, wokeism, wokeism is secular fundamentalist religion. Morality is out. LGBTQ, etc. is in. Critical race theory replaces Martin Luther King. Content of character, not color of skin, was Martin Luther King. Critical race theory is everything is about race. Everything is about race. And everything should be decided and reasoned based on race. And should be decided with a presumption that America is an inherently racist country. That's what critical race theory does. No tolerance for any differing views, expulsion and banishment for nonconformity, and you gotta worry, is violence next? And its proponents intend to replace Judaism, Christianity, etc., the Bible. Wokeism is angry, ugly, accusatory, and utterly without love. It will destroy the fabric of America if left unimposed, unopposed. The Biden agenda reports um, jobs report miss is our next one. And before the actual jobs report for April, Axios, May of 21, a jobs report for the ages, Reuters. Today, before the report was released, U.S. economy likely created nearly a million jobs in April. CNBC, April jobs expected to top 1 million as consumers boost the economy. Market watch, a million new jobs. That's how many Wall Street thinks the U.S. has created in April. Barons get ready for a blockbuster jobs report, one million or more. New York Times jobs report is expected to show a big gain. Live updates following. New York Times columnist Paul Krugman. I want to. Okay, I was going to say something about him. I'm not going to do it. Okay. All indications are we're headed for the fastest year of growth since the morning in America boom of '83, '84. What's not to like? The actual report of 266,000 jobs. And I'll tell you, folks, there's a little bit of distinction. I, I put here the biggest negative miss in the history of forecasting. Um, and some people say it's only the biggest miss since 1998. Some say biggest ever, whichever. Huge miss. And clear what they're saying is that these, all these you know, um, smartest people in the room make predictions based on all sorts of data and numbers they collect. And so when they make um, estimates, you know, they're, in, they're not just pulled out of thin air. They're allegedly based on data, very, very knowledgeable people, blah, blah. And so this report, as you heard from the headlines above, going to have a million or more jobs, barely over a quarter million. Actual report, 266,000 jobs, biggest negative miss in the history of forecasting. Jobs are available, but unfilled. DeSantis, not Biden, has the right policy, incentivize people to go to work, not stay at home for more COVID benefits. And WAPO ducks the kill chain. This hit piece on Russ Rams about election fraud claims uh, was published today. Huge omission. Any reference to the 2019 documentary Kill Chain, the cyber war on America's elections. The documentary was a Democrat-dominated warning about election fraud in 2020 elections. It foreshadowed the actual 2020 election fraud that Russ Ramsden and ASOG uncovered. Put the lie to voting machines not connected to the Internet. Kill Chain substantially bolsters the credibility of Russ Ramsden and ASOG. Also notable, high number of key named witnesses in the WAPO story. And this was something I didn't get to, but they mentioned a lot of people, well, so-and-so who wouldn't give their name or comment with anonymity. And I know they do that a lot of times to, to signal something that um, maybe these people have uh, are guilt or something like that. So that's what I want to address here. Also notable, high number of key named witnesses in the WAPO story who would not respond to the WAPO request for comment. Washington Post might believe the default characterization of no comment as evidence of guilt 
or embarrassment or something to hide. More likely, more people completely distrustful of honesty in media. And I will tell you in closing that when I got that email from Washington Post reporter, my first reaction was, I'm not answering him because I don't trust them. Because they have an agenda. Because they're, they're like Pravda. And so, but the more I thought about it, I decided I'd rather give full answers and honest answers and, and you know, lengthy answers, clear answers, which I did, sent them back in, and then published what my answers before the story ever came out. So all the story, actually, I meant to mention, the story just has one little reference to this show, just saying that it was actually something about Russ Ramson said on this show, you know, and said on Debbie George Addis's uh, conservative talk show. So I did not get attacked in the story, which, for which I am grateful. Um, but I am really, um, I do want to urge people, if you read this story in the Washington Post, do not let them lead you down the path to thinking, oh, the Washington Post has now completed the expose. There's, the whole election fraud thing was a farce. Nothing to see here. Move on. This is what they hope you will conclude. Stay tuned. Pay attention. Find out what's going to happen out of the Maricopa County audit and other uh, information coming out about election fraud. And again, as I say, this is not because I think that we're going to do anything about the 2020 elections in terms of reversing the outcome. But we must, as a people, unite against the agenda of the left and refuse to submit to it because America did not choose this. And that is my show for today, my very fine friends. Thank you for tuning in to America Can We Talk every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can you hear?